Brother Timothy, Brother Tim said, I don't give him Timothy, Brother Tim. That sounds too spiritual. <laughs> Chapter 22, beginning in the 31st verse. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that, when your, that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Father, we bless you. We thank you for this church. Thank you for each person under the sound of my voice. Thank you for the unction of the Spirit of God that is at work here. We thank you for the privilege of being in a place where your presence is manifested. We thank you, O oh God, that you have allowed us to be a part of what you are doing in the world. May we operate in the supernatural power from on high that we would see mountains leveled and crooked ways made straight and that you might be that one who is caused to be glorified in everything we say, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen, amen church. God has called us to be second-mile Christians. I'm going to pray for Sister Paula. Uh, she had death in her family. So we pray for her as she is uh, husband are in Pittsburgh, dealing with that experience. We want her to know that we love her. And we thank God for everyone that's following us today by live streaming. Have not my hands made all things, and so they have come into being, declares the Lord. Have not my hands made all things, and so they came into being by my hands, declared the Lord. Now listen to this. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. When I read that, I had to get up. God says, the humble and contrite of spirit and those who tremble at my word, I show favor. I made everything, but I pay special attention to the humble and contrite in spirit and those who tremble, who fear, who reverence the word of God. Whenever I read verses about broken and contrite spirits, the word contrite means to be crushed by guilt resulting from remorse because of our sin. And so a contrite person is someone who is guilt-ridden because they have disobeyed God and the displeasure they have caused to God causes their heart to be broken, to, be, to weep. 
The picture that came to my mind when I think about something broken and, and, and crushed was always glass falling to the ground and breaking in them, you know, multiple pieces or some pottery that shatters when it hits the ground. But the real picture behind the word crushed really has to do with a, a different portrait. The imagery is of a trainer or a cowboy who plans to ride a horse for the first time. That horse is wild. It hasn't been broken. And so when the trainer gets on the horse that has never been ridden, and because it is wild, the horse tries to buck, tries to throw the trainer. It will not be directed. It will not be obedient. It will not do what the trainer wants of that beast. But once the trainer has broken the horse, he can direct the horse wherever he wants it to go. I'm not calling anybody a horse. But until God has broken us, he can't direct us. I always say, when I see a woman riding on the back of a motorcycle with a man, she's been broken. That's to get on the back of a motorcycle with a man. Or you see, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm treading on some very sensitive territory here. But God can't direct us to where he wants to take us until he has broken us. You will never be a second mile Christian until you've been broken. I believe the problem with too many Christians in the church, we've never been broken. We've joined the church. We've become a part of ministries. We even have made a profession of faith, but we've never surrendered. God does not direct your life. You do not allow the Lord to take the steering wheel. You're piloting your own ship. That's why you keep ending up hitting the same rocks. God must break us to make us. He created you to be a second mile Christian. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, I'm going to ask you to turn me down just a little bit, and whoever compels you to go one mile, Somebody forces you to go one mile. He says, go with him two. That's against our nature. We buck up against that. You can't tell me what to do. But God 
is our potter and we are the clay and he wants to so shape us. He wants us to so trust him and rely on him and rest in him that we will allow the potter to form us into whatever pottery he desires because there's a place for you in the purposes of God if you allow him to make you an original rather than a copy. You're going to be a copy if God does not make you to break you. After doing some research on the word broken, I discovered that it's primarily used in the Old Testament scriptures. It occurs in various shades with different connotations. The word sabar uh, means to break. It's used in Genesis chapter 19, verse 9. It means to shatter, to smash, or to crush by force. The men who are pressing up the, against the door of Lot, they said, we will break your door down if you do not release to us the men that we might know them. And they weren't talking about a social encounter. And so this type of crushing and smashing is something that is done by force. This is what the police do when they're, do, when, when they're, when, when they're about a raid or they're, they're searching out drugs. Uh, they don't knock on your door. They kick the door in. It's a bar. Other Hebrew words, like the word daka, which means to bruise or rasa, to afflict or cause harm, to beat something or someone down. The word daka, dika, means to beat into small pieces. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out for whatever reason, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that nobody is putting on their bucket list that they want to beat down. How many of you want a spiritual beat down? How many of you want to be smashed and crushed and bruised and afflicted? No, we, we want increase my borders, expand my territory. Prosper me, oh God. Another level for another devil. My day is here. Fresh anointing coming my way. Nobody intentionally signs up to be crushed. However, if you're ever going to be everything or do anything that is meaningful to God, God breaks whoever he would use greatly. You can't really minister to anybody if you don't bleed. One of the things about the millennials in particular today, if you're not transparent, you have nothing to say. There was a time when we could say, do as I say, because I am the pastor, I am your parent, I am a man, I will hurt you. No, they won't, they, people don't care to hear what you got to say. I don't care how scholarly it is, how much research you've done. People want to see you bleed. They want to see the reality of your faith in action. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, we meet 12 ordinary men 
who had been taught for three years by an extraordinary savior. They've witnessed his power to heal, to deliver, to even raise the dead. They've seen Jesus set captives free. In spite of all that they saw and heard, and the things that they celebrated with Jesus when he fed the 5,000 with two loaves and with two fish and five loaves, they were clueless. They had no idea what it really meant to follow Jesus. They were still looking for temporal blessings. They still thought of the kingdom as being about them. Too many Christians think of what God's purposes in the world is really about us, not about the kingdom, not about the world. The most outspoken in the group is none other than Peter. And so while we're going to discover in this, these verses before us that the Lord was speaking to all of the disciples, he specifically addresses his words to Peter, who was the most impetuous, the most flamboyant, the most outspoken, the most guilty of the hoof-in-the-mouth disease of all of the disciples. What's, what Peter needed and what we need, if you're going to go beyond the call of duty, if you're going to be if you're going to be, if you're going to be uh, 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 extravagant, if you're going to do more than what is required so that people can see Christ in your life, if you're going to go to second mile, prepare for a spiritual beatdown. Come on, church. Amen. Now, why do we need a spiritual beatdown? Why do I need God to break me to make me? I'm glad you asked, Elder. The first reason is Simon still lives. Say, Simon still lives. Jesus says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, has demanded to sift you as wheat. Let me share four things about Simon, who still lives. I don't know what your name is, but for the point of this sermon, let's say your name is Simon. He represents who we were before we came to know Jesus. How many of you know we ain't always been saved? I'm still wondering about some of you. In John chapter 1, verse 40 through 42, the scripture says Jesus, uh, reflecting on how he called the twelve to be his disciples and ultimately apostles, here's what the scripture says. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him, Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon. So when you get saved, the first place you need to be going is back to your family to tell them about the goodness of God through Jesus. And he said to him, we have found the Messiah. They didn't find him. He found them. <laughs> really, that, we'll move on. Which is translated Christ, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of John or Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, 
which is translated a stone, and the word stone is a translation from the word Peter. Simon represents our old nature, our Adamic nature, our fallen nature, our unregenerate nature, the time when we didn't know Jesus. When we were like Nicodemus, Jesus says, marvel not, I say unto you, I know you go to church, I know you got your religious credentials, but here's your issue. You must be, you've got to be, and if you aren't born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Simon is our, who we were outside of Jesus. What we, what we see is that Jesus changed Simon's name. And he's also changed our name. We were once enemies, now we're friends. We were once goat, now we're sheep. <laughs> we were once children of darkness, now we're children of light. Our names have been changed because of any man being Jesus. All things are what? Passed away. And now what? All things, all things, our relationship with Christ through what God has become new through Jesus. He's changed our name. We were Simon. Simon, that's who we were. Simon's name was changed, but his desires remain. Simon lives. Though converted, the rock Peter was often called Simon Peter. The Lord changed it, but many times when you read about uh, Peter, the scriptures will use both of his names. The rock Peter coexisted with the flesh. Simon, believers are the only human beings other than Christ. Christ has a dual nature. He's very God and very man. 100% God and 100% man. We call that the hypostatic union. And I that, forget about that. But we also, like Christ, we have dual natures. We have two natures existing in one body. We have the old man. The Adamic nature, the sin nature, we got Simon up in us. And then we have the new nature, the rock called Peter living in us. Listen to what Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25 says, and this is the living translation. It seems to be a fact of life. Then when I, when I want to do right, I inevitably do wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature, as far as Peter is concerned. But there's something else deep within me, Simon, in my lower nature that is at war with my mind and wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin that still is within me. In my mind, I, in, 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 when I'm acting like Peter, I want to please God as his servant. But instead, I find myself still enslaved to Simon, sin. So you see how it is? My new life tells me to do right, but my old nature that I still, that still is inside of me loves sin. Oh, what terrible predicament I'm in. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus, I do not have to be dominated by Simon. But Simon still lives. He said, well, that was back then, but this is now. But Simon represents all of us. Because when you read in the original language, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan demands that he, you be, that he sifts you as wheat. The you in the Greek is in the plural. 
The pronoun is plural. So while he's talking to Peter, the loud mouth, the one who always got something to say, who, he, who writes checks that he can't, can't you know, cash, he says that, that Satan desires to sift you, all of you, as wheat. Now what we're going to come to understand that sifting is both from God and from Satan. There are two ways that we can respond to it. We can allow the Lord to make us, to break us, to make us, or we can allow the sifting to push us away from God. Are you still with me? Simon represents all of us. Simon acts up whenever he doesn't get his way. The disciples were at, when you read Luke chapter 14, the disciples were at the first communion service. Jesus was instructing them. He says, I'm getting ready to go. And often as you do this, you show forth my death and suffering. This is a very sacred moment. He washed their feet. Uh, he uh, explained the purpose of the wine. and raised it to the New Testament. covenant. So you guys are getting ready to be exposed to something that all the, say, all the believers in the Old Testament were waiting for. And now I'm, being, I'm releasing this to you. And the scripture says the next thing you hear coming out of these folks' mouths is who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Simon don't care where he's at. They're at communion service, and they're busting out into an argument. Simon will fight you at the altar while the communion crumbs are still around his mouth. They just eaten a communion bread, and now they're ready to come to blows. Right in church. Simon doesn't have any manners. I don't care how much college you give, Simon. I don't care how much Bible you teach, Simon. It don't matter how much you pray over Simon. Simon will rise up when he doesn't get his way, when he's not recognized, when he doesn't feel that he's not, that he's not getting what is rightfully his in the flesh. Simon still lives. The flesh doesn't have any decorum. Sitting, looking right at you and thinking about what they're going to do when they, Simon's thinking about what he's going to do for his next, next sin. Right in church. Talking about, oh, I love Jesus and looking at you with eyes of steel that clearly say, I may love Jesus, but I can't stand you. Simon, Simon still lives. We are saved. The Bible says, this I say, walk in the spirit so you will not fulfill the lust of Simon because the spirit, Peter and Simon, wrestle one against another so that we will not do the things that we will. And the works of Simon are made manifest. And he gives a whole list. Here's how you know when Simon's in control. And here's how you know for the fruit of the spirit is. Some of you watched one of my favorite movies, The Nutty Professor. I saw both, both versions, uh, Jerry Lewis. I'm young enough to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the Eddie Murphy, Professor Klump, Sherman Klump, he was a brilliant scientist, but he had a weight problem. He was morbidly and grossly obese. 
But he met this little sweet thing, Jada Pickett. And she seemed to be interested in the professor, even though he was a little on the rotund side of the scale. But wanting to impress her, he invented a solution, this, this, this potion. And when he swallowed the solution, Sherman Clump became Buddy Love. Somebody know what I'm talking about. The weight would come off. The attitude would change. His conversation would change. His confidence would change. And while Buddy Love was in charge, Sherman Clump was totally morphed. By the end of the episode, the movie, Buddy Love, because of the power of the solution, was beginning to kill off Sherman Professor Clump. And there was a battle. I mean, they literally were on the floor fighting. No, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Now, I'm not saying that we are some Freddie, Clump, you know, Sherman Clump or Buddy Love, but I want you to understand that we got some Buddy Love up in us and we got some Sherman Clump in us. And if we're not careful based on what, what solution you're using, if you're not using the word of God and yielding to the word of God, you're going to be acting the fool like the flesh wants you to we need to be broken we need a spiritual beatdown because Simon Simon you were just praising Jesus now you cussing that's Simon that's why Jesus could say to Peter one minute Peter saying thou art the Christ the son of the living God and Jesus turned to Peter and said flesh and blood has not brother you preaching hallelujah amen say it again and then the next moment Peter said but you ain't going to the cross and Jesus turned to the same person now Simon's acting a fool. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Two natures in the same person living in, both, in all of us. That's why we need to be stripped. That's why God needs to take control to direct our lives. Simon still lives. But Satan is also a determined enemy. Say determined enemy. It's the sense of the statement when Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you. The, the word desire literally means he's stalking me about you. He's trolling me about you. Put your name where Simon's. He's trolling the Lord about you. He desires. He demands. He's, he just, he's, he's being hostile towards the Lord regarding you because he desires to sift you. I want you to know some things that are revealed in this verse about Satan. He's a schemer. He pretends to be what he's not. You thought it was your husband. You thought it was your wife. You thought it was those folks at your job. If they would just leave me alone, if they would just give me a chance, if they would just get off my back. 
The Bible says that the devil appears as an angel of light. Peter and the disciples did not know that they were on the devil's radar. Jesus had to say, it is Satan who desires because he's a schemer. I want you to understand, when you have not been broken, when you are not surrendered, when you're still running stuff, you will not recognize demonic attacks. You will not be prepared for the destruction that Satan is trying to wreak through you. He wants to use you. That's the idea of sifting. The devil wants to use you to wreck the lives of others. I tell you, if you're, not, if you're not controlled by the Spirit of God, you will be discouraged. You will be distracted. You better know how to get to a place in God. Because Simon, when he's being sifted, Satan's a schemer. The Lord warns us not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. When is the last time you saw the presence of the enemy in your life? Don't you understand? He doesn't take a vacation. He didn't decide to leave you alone because you're watching Netflix. Or the NAA, what is it called? The, the, the basketball tournament? He didn't decide to leave you alone. He didn't go away when we watched the Eagles win the championship. He was right there. He was right there. Thank God nobody called us away in the last two minutes because then we would have been acting like Simon. Some of you would have been acting like Simon. Then the rest of us <laughs> would have been Simon. <laughs> Satan is a seeker. Say he's a seeker. Says he desires you. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, beware of your adversary, the devil. He is like a prowling lion who goes about roaring, seeking who he may destroy. The devil is seeking you. He has, he has, a, he has a GPS on you. While he is not omnipresent, he can't be everywhere at the same time. But he has some minions, some legions of demons that are assigned to you. And based on the, the level of the call of God on your life, the greater the intensity of the attack. That's why too many Christians don't want to really step up. We don't really want to let the, uh, 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 sell out to Christ because you know. And so the devil don't have to do to, to, to really be checking in on the demons assigned to us. They've been, they've been down in, Can, in Cancun because you're not following the Peter in you. You're following the Simon. Satan is not only a seeker and a schemer. He's a soother. He's off, he offers you a crown without a cross. He wants you to be content just for being in the race. Some Christians are just glad to be in the building. That's the danger in the White House. It's one thing to be in the room, but can you influence what's going on in the room? I don't want to be anywhere where I don't have some influence. But there are too many Christians who don't care. They just glad I'm at church. I had my Bible right there. I prayed when they prayed. And did you hear Sister Shanta? Oh, my goodness. He's able, isn't he able? Yes, he is. And you got, I actually was able. I knew the words of that song. And oh, my goodness. And Sister so-and-so got up and she shouted and so forth. You're just glad to be in the race. You ain't running. 
He doesn't want you to work out the difficulties in your marriage, in your, in your, at your job. He wants you to run. He wants you to quit. You don't need to be going through all this. It doesn't require all that. It's really about me. That's what the saints said. You shouldn't be going through all this. You ain't got to take this. Come on now. When you weren't saved, did you? I mean, you didn't, you weren't, you didn't go down like that. So Satan is a soother. He wants to put us in a comfortable place. He wants us to be okay with where we are. He wants us to be satisfied with the Bible verses we learned 10 years ago. He don't want us to be digging deep into the word of God. He wants us pulling out stuff that we did for 10 years. He don't want you searching and learning and being pulled. I had a sermon already prepared in my mind. It was going to be about listening. That's what this was supposed to be about. And after eating breakfast with Brother Will, it's like, yeah, I deserve to take a break tomorrow. Maybe I ought to just preach on listening. It's a good sermon. It's coming. But the Lord had other ideas. Don't you think I don't want to be home with my wife on a Saturday, watching her move around? And I think she really would rather me be gone so she can do what she got to do. But seriously... I can't leave until the Lord let me leave. But the devil is a soother. He says that being a Christian is a bed of flowery ease. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Salvation is free. But discipleship is costly. You've got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to put the flesh on the altar every day. But there's power when you, when you, when you surrender, when you turn it over, when you sell out to the Lord. He's a schemer, a seeker, a soother. The devil's also a strategist. He knows he can't keep you out of heaven. So he changes his strategy. He wants to use the Simon in you so that you can keep other people from going to heaven because you're so focused on you. The devil has developed, just like you, you, you got a diet plan and how many calories. The devil also has a plan specifically tailor-made for you. The Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted of God. For God tempteth no man with evil. But when every man is tempted, he's drawn away by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when, in other words, you're baited by Satan through Simon based on what he knows your areas of weaknesses are. The devil knows where you're weak. The devil knows where to sift you. He knows how to get you out of being Peter. He's Peter right now. You're talking about praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God. But Simon's right there saying, okay, I'll get you at the church. <laughs> Go on and have your time now. Go on and say hallelujah. You can even shout a little bit. Come on, kick that leg up. But wait until you... <laughs> Satan is a determined enemy. Simon still lives. But sifting is necessary. Say it's necessary. There are four stages of sifting. I was trying to 
envisioned. So go to YouTube and see what sifting. Get a chance to check out what sifting is all about. There's a threshing floor where you take the, the, the ears or, the, uh, or you take the stalks of grain and they put it on a hard concrete floor. First stage, threshing. Second stage, they would take the ox or cow and the oxen would crush, crush the stalks, crush pressure. That's why I said don't muzzle the ox while it's treading at the treading hole because if you don't feed the ox, the ox is the preacher. <laughs> if you don't feed the ox, if you, even though he's crushing you, the, the ox will get tired and, and the ox will not be able to help you to produce what, what the goal of the threshing floor is. And then there's the heaving. Once the grain has been crushed and smashed and bruised, then they take these shifters and, or, or they would throw up the, the, the bushes and, and the wind, and they, would take, they did it in the evening. That's why when Naomi and Ruth went back to, 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 to uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, okay, come on, help me out, somebody. Well, when they went back <laughs> to uh, uh, the house of bread, Bethlehem, Naomi said to Ruth, go during the evening, and there will be an abundance from the wheat that was left over. Because it was at night when you, when you heaved up the, 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 the stalks, or, or you heaved up what, what has been crushed, the wind would blow to separate the, the chaff from the wheat. The chaff from the wheat. And then there was what was called the winnowing. So the, the third stage, anyway, by the time the two are separated, you end up with grain. And then when you got the grain, you can take the grain and make the grain into flour so you can cook some fried fish. But if you don't crush the wheat, if you don't smash it, if you don't bruise it, if you don't get violent with it, if you don't cut something off, if you don't make it difficult, if the fire doesn't get turned up, if you don't get uncomfortable, if you're not pushed out of your comfort zone, if you don't get tired of being inconvenient, you ain't going to be able to become the wheat, the flower. And so the purpose of the sifting is to separate the good from the bad. And you don't know what is good and bad until you're being you thought you were good. You thought you were spiritual. You thought you had it together. You thought you finally overcame that. But now you're being sifted. Now you're being crushed. And what is really good and really true of who you are is what's going to come out. And when you have gone through, God would have removed the husk, the, the chaff, come out. I pure gold in the another analogy. It's needed. Say it's needed. Now, how does the Lord allow Satan to sift? Sifting is from both God and Satan. Satan sifts us to tempt us to, to sin. God uses sifting as in, in James chapter 1 says, count it all joy when you count when you experience trials and testing. So God is testing us to develop us, to show us where we are, to mature us in Christ. Somebody say, mature me in Christ. Here's how he does it. By withholding something from you that you, you, you long for. What is that you're longing for? And God hasn't given it to you. What is it? Is it, is it you fill in the blank. 
What have you been praying for? And it seems like heaven has shut its ears to your cry. What keeps you up late at night and the tears rolling? One causing you to wonder why? Why, God? Causing you to reflect, oh, Lord, I've been obedient. Lord, I've loved you. Lord, I've given. Lord, I've served you. I've done everything you told me. But yet, Lord, Paul said, I prayed three times that you would remove the thorn. But every time you said, my grace. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear my strength is perfected. I don't want to hear that. How does he do it? Not only does he do it by withholding something you've been praying for, he does it by demanding something that you've been withholding. There's some things that God wants you to put at the altar and leave. I don't care if you come a hundred times. If you carry the weight away from the altar, nothing will change. Didn't mean that the prayer wasn't heard by God. Didn't mean that God couldn't do it. It simply means that you didn't leave it. There's some things that God can't release to you because he can't trust you with it. He knows if he gave it to you, Simon, Simon would be in charge. God does it by exposing our secret sin. He pulls the cover off. God will pull the cover off. And here's the way we think of secret sin. Some terrible, adulterous, uh, somebody on uh, committed tax fraud. No, I'm talking about ungodly, prideful, unforgiving, horrible. The, the, the guy says your, your, your prayers are not answered because your sin is like stench in my nostrils. So let's not be like the Pharisee in the temple saying, Lord, I thank you that I don't commit adultery. I thank you that I don't steal money. I thank you that I tithe. But the Bible says that his heart wasn't changed. He was prideful. So there's stuff that is in us that is keeping God from being in charge because we made secret sins five things. And none of them are true of us. The devil is a liar. He places you around people and situations that you want nothing to do with. Isn't it, a, isn't it interesting? You thought if you changed jobs, it would finally be better. And the same people that gave you hell where you just left seemed that they took a new job where you took your job. These situations and people are your thorns in the flesh. I want you to understand why you keep hitting the same wall, why you keep having the same thing, stub your toe. It's because God is sifting you. God is trying to show you that it's not the situation, it's not the individuals, but there's something in you that I'm trying to change. I'm trying to teach you how to love your enemies. I'm trying to teach you how to pray for those. I'm trying to teach you to get past quoting scripture and toting your Bible and wearing a scarf over your I'm trying to get you to a place where you're walking in obedience and I'm in charge. When does he sift us? When we're tired. Somebody calls you on the phone. They want you to counsel them. But you've been working all day. You're being sifted. 
When does he sift you? He sifts you when somebody in your family starts an argument that should be totally irrelevant. Why are you thought? Because God has something that he's going to try to do. You're being sifted. When you feel like giving up and God didn't tell you to give up, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You feel trapped. You feel broke, disgusted, all of those things. I want you to understand you being sifted. You're being sifted. But if you allow patience, the sifting, to have God's desired result, you will finally grow up and you will be promoted from that class. You won't have to go through that no more. People won't have that kind of power over you anymore. You won't be depending on them for your joy. My joy doesn't come from my circumstance. My joy doesn't come from individuals. But my joy, my strength, my help comes from him who sits high and looks low. And his name is Jesus. Allow the sifting. You're not exempt. You're going to go through. Job said, though he slay me, though I feel like I'm being crushed, I feel like I'm being bruised, yet, 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 yet shall I trust him. I'm going to yet hold on, for I found that God has never... He has never, he has never failed me. Here's what you need to understand. Simon still lives. Satan is a determined enemy. Sifting has a purpose, but what should you understand when you're going through? You need to understand you have an advocate. Say, I have an advocate. Jesus says, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but <laughs> I have, I have an advocate with the Father. I have a prosecuting attorney, and the judge is his father. So no matter what the charge is, I can't lose because it's a fixed case. It's fixed. You're talking about a dream team. I got God, the Holy Spirit, to comfort me. Jesus, the Son, who's representing me. And God, the Father, who declares me righteous, just as if I've never sinned through the blood of Christ. It's fixed. It's fixed. He said, you're going to be shifted. But I've already prayed for you. And because I prayed for you, you can do all things. Through whose strength? Through Christ's strength, you also have an assurance that what you're going through will not destroy you. He said, I pray for you so that your faith should not be, your faith shall not completely fail. Whatever you're going through, God has already prepared you for it if you depend upon his strength. Well, I've said this verse to me, there's no temptation that has taken you, but such that is what? Common to man. God said, I'm faithful and just to for." To, 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 to allow you to be tempted, but never tempted above what you're able to bear. 
The assurance is, yes, you're going to be sifted, but it won't destroy you. Yes, you're going to have problems in your marriage. Yes, you're going to have problems at your job. Yes, people are going to misunderstand you. Yes, you're going to be mistreated. Yes, it's going to be hard from time to time, but you will not be utterly destroyed because I'm with you. You also have not only an assurance that you're not going to be destroyed by what you're going through, whatever it is, if it's sickness, if it's financial, if it's emotional, you have an advocate, but you also have an assignment. So when you have returned, after you've been sifted, after God has shown you the difference that is good and bad, when you thought you were all of that, and I'm now showing you that you aren't all of that. And I've shown you that I give grace to the humble, but I resist the proud. And now that you've been humble, you've been broken, you still have an assignment. He didn't say you have a title. He didn't say that you have an entourage. But what he did say is you have an assignment. Go. Go and encourage. Is there somebody in this church that you can encourage? Is there somebody in your path that you can build up? Is there somebody that needs to see the light of Jesus in your life? Is there somebody that you can intercede for? Is there somebody that needs to hear your voice on the telephone? Is there somebody that would benefit from a dinner or a lunch with you? Some of us can cook some dumplings. I know you can, sister. Some of you can cook some steaks. I know some of But is there somebody? You've got an assignment. Yeah, we have an advocate, an assurance, an assignment, but you also need to understand to avoid arrogance. Peter answered and said, even if all stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Never be made to stumble. When you're talking to people, and every other word that comes out of their mouth is I, 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 I. Simon is talking to you. We need to check our egos. We need to be speaking in such a way that it is God who's getting the glory. It takes discipline to get out of the, off of the throne and allow the Lord to occupy his rightful position. Avoid arrogance, talking about, they might do it. I don't understand. They've been in the church. Some of them are deacons and preachers and pastors. They went to Bible college, and here they are. I done read about them. They in jail. Their family busted up. I, I, you know what? I could never. It would, oh, I can't imagine. I mean, I used to be before I was a Christian. Paul said, Peter said, I won't do what the 11 will do. When you start comparing yourself with other people, guess what? You got one foot on a banana peel and the other foot's on ice. The Lord says, he who thinks he stands, let him take heed. These things were written for our benefit. Paul said, but for the grace of God, anything that anybody else can do, Simon and me can do. Simon, Simon, 
still lives. Don't you ever compare yourself with others who have fallen, who have drifted, and say, that would be not, that's not how, yeah, uh uh-huh, I'm over that, okay, okay, you just one slip and fall away, you just one argument away. I remember I was driving home from church, had my clergyman's collar on the whole nine yards, and this dude stands in my front of my, my big old I had an expedition, and he's arguing with the woman, and I'm sitting there, he won't move. I, I said, sir, sir, and then the more I say, sir, the louder he gets, and I blow my horn. He said, do you want some of this? you want some of this? I'll come and pull you in. Brandon was in the car, in the car seat and all of that, and then I, I'm saying, yeah, I want some of that. And, yeah, you don't know that I'm, from, I, you know, I got this collar on, but I can take it off, and, and I, you know what? This car has a lot of horsepower, and I, you know, and 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 all the thing that got me was Brandon. I said I just got finished preaching, and Simon wanted to be out there on the parking lot. <laughs> I, I'm saved, but I'm still, you know, I still. I was young, and I was ready, you know, I was ready to go 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 to blows. That was before. Road rage and knives and guns. That's when fisticuffs. Stop saying what you will never do. I will never. Okay. Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. Jeremiah said, it is by his mercies that we're not, not mercy singular, it's by his mercies we're not consumed. God needs some Make us, break us to make us, break us to make us. You will never be a servant of others as long as God can't direct your life because your flesh wants to be served. It doesn't want to serve anybody. It doesn't want to be inconvenienced. The first time somebody looks at us funny, we ain't doing it again. That's Simon. That's Simon. You need to check yourself. Is this Peter or Simon? Is this the new man or the old man? Who's in charge? A man lost control of his boat during a storm, and he became marooned on an abandoned island. And somehow he was able to swim to safety, and he had a few items. And he scoundered, uh, he searched around and scoured the island and found just enough materials to build something to cover him, a little hut. But every single day he would look out over the horizon to see maybe a ship, maybe a ship, maybe a plane, maybe somebody will find me on this barren island. That went on for years. And one day he was out looking for food. And as he returned, he noticed that the house that he built with his own hands, the things that he had put under the the covering of his house, everything that was his earthly possessions were in flames. The hut had caught fire. He was devastated. He wanted to quit. He was angry. He fell on on the sand and he pounded his hands and asked God why, how could God be so cruel? And he cried himself to sleep only to discover when he woke up in the, next, the next day that a ship had docked. 
And the captain said, well, I saw your smoke. <laughs> until everything was burnt, until everything that he had depended on was crushed and smashed and afflicted and bruised and broken, God could not save him. I want you to understand, until you finally release everything to him, he cannot really save you to the level of obedience and opportunity and spiritual authority and power that he has in store for you. We need, we need to be broken. Would you stand? We need to surrender. Surrender as husbands. Surrender as wives. Surrender as singles. Surrender as children. Surrender as men. Whatever you've been withholding from God, whatever God has told you to do and you haven't done because you don't understand it, don't feel right, just obey. Turn it over to the Lord. And the way you can do that is by serving others. Serving others. He says, when you have returned, you will strengthen. Who are you strengthening? Who are you building up? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you.